0: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Twitter followers and readers of our site might have noticed that this week I interviewed former Eagles running back Brian Westbrook. He's not number one on my all-time athletes I'd be pumped to interview list, uh, but he's certainly a favorite of mine and many other Eagles fans from that excellent era for the team. So, uh, John, you've been interviewing athletes for a long time. I presume you're rarely, if ever, awed by them, but uh, give me your Mount Rushmore of athletes. Uh, I'll open it up to living or dead uh, that you wish you could interview.
1: Uh, Wow, Rick, that's tough. Uh, I've been so fortunate. Um, My favorite all-time interview has to be about 20 years ago in Manhattan, the press conference for the NBA's 50 greatest players in 50 years. Hmm. And uh, somehow after the event and later interviews, everyone drifted away, and it's just me and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell (laughs) talking about how every every Thanksgiving the Celtics would play in Philadelphia, and Bill was always invited to the Chamberlains for dinner after the game. And, you know, yes, they feuded for years, and they patched it up, and they explained all that, and they just wanted to keep on talking and talking, and I I was in no (laughs) hurry to leave either. <laughs> if there's one 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 piece of tape from a tape recorder that I wish I had kept, that's probably it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you know Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, um, Billy Jean King, John McEnroe, uh, Mark Messier, Hank Aaron, Joe Namath, and that's not even <laughs> counting group interviews. So I'm going old school for sure on this question now. Um, yeah, I once was lined up to interview Ted Williams back in the 1980s, but some, in retrospect, inconsequential issue came up uh, at work, and so I missed it, and mm. I want that one back. Uh, you know, Ted was gruff, but fascinating in, in his post-playing days, so, um, you know, I even got uh, 1950s Minneapolis Laker George Mikan at mm. that 50 Greatest 50 greatest Players event at the All-Star Game in Cleveland that year, and I was fortunate enough to chronicle Drazen Petrovic's last season, as we talked about, so uh, I haven't missed much of basketball, but... Uh, give me the lone deceased pick on the 50 greatest list at the time, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich. Hmm, um, okay. I saw I saw him light up the Knicks on TV as a kid, I think, for 61 points and uh, with the New Orleans Jazz. And um, he was an artist as much as he was a basketball player, so I'd want to pick that brain. Um, let's see. Next up would be a weird one, O.J. Simpson. Um, okay. All right. As repulsive as he is, I think most of us with journalistic backgrounds talk ourselves into the idea that we'd be the one to get the bottom of that <laughs> abyss. Right. Um, I'd probably fail like everyone else, but I'd like to take a shot. Um, and last, uh, thinking about it, give uh, me Jim Thorpe, uh, who was great at everything. Um, hmm. Native American whose twin died at age nine, which I cannot fathom. And then his mother dies in a later childbirth. He goes to live with his father as a teenager, and his father dies from wounds in a hunting accident. Um, all of that is before he makes it as a double Olympic gold medalist. He plays in the NFL and Major League Baseball, and he became a national ballroom dancing competition winner. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. So, you know, I know people were made of sterner stock then, but how the hell does anyone persevere like that and and get through it? Uh, I just have to ask.
0: Yeah, I like I like that list. I have a couple follow-up uh, questions for you. <laughs> First, uh, I haven't personally read it, but I'm curious. Have you read? I believe it was Mark Kriegel wrote the Pistol Pete uh, biography. Did you? Did no, and I, I, okay.
1: I know Mark really well, and uh, I read his Joe Namath book, which is fantastic, um, and. Um, uh, yeah, I'm picking myself. If if I can't get the interview, which I, apparently I can't, so <laughs> apparently I'll, you can't. I'll, I'll have to settle for Mark's book. Uh, he and I covered a lot of Nick's uh, playoff games in the uh, 1990s, and uh, he's a great writer. He's a cool person.
0: Yeah, um, and my other follow-up question is, uh, you know, w- when you had your uh, alone time with Wilt, did you uh, compare sexual conquest stories?
1: Uh, no, I I did have a one-on <laughs> one-on-one with him. Uh, Later, um, in another like the next year, which I'll tell at another time, but that wasn't part of this conversation.
0: Okay, and I'm I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just going to assume your number is under ten thousand and and leave it at that.
1: That's fair enough. <laughs> okay. Ah,
0: uh, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number fifty of Gamble On. Yes, that's right, the big five zero. Uh, we're going <laughs> to celebrate by doing a pretty normal episode of Gamble On and telling you that if you missed any of our previous 49 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe. Uh, And if you can figure out how, give us a 50-star rating in honor of the occasion. Uh, If you can't figure out how to do that, though, a five-star rating will do.
1: Yeah, I think we'll take five. Um, yeah, we're coming up a little later on the show. We'll be joined by veteran reporter Ed Barkowitz of the Philadelphia Inquirer to talk about sports betting, with a particular focus on Pennsylvania, uh, where the market is starting to move forward, catching up with New Jersey, uh, perhaps. Uh, but first, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
0: As John just said, we'll be talking about Pennsylvania sports betting with Ed Barkowitz, uh, and we'll start there in the news segment as well, because FanDuel launched its online sportsbook in Pennsylvania this week, with two key differences from the three other sportsbooks that launched in PA first. One of those differences is that FanDuel is using a shared wallet across New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which is quite convenient for those who have existing New Jersey accounts. Sugar House doesn't offer the same. You need two separate wallets there, even though they have sites in in both states that are basically the same site. Uh, The other difference is that the FanDuel Sportsbook app is available on iPhones and iPads. Their New Jersey app works in Pennsylvania. That would seem to give FanDuel a significant edge over the competition. And FanDuel might not even need a big edge as they're leading by a solid margin in New Jersey. They have brand recognition. They figured to win in Pennsylvania no matter what. Um, obviously, they're not going to surpass the current leader, Sugarhouse, in revenue or handle in July, uh, with less than one-third of the month to operate. Uh, but, John, do you expect FanDuel to be number one in Pennsylvania by August? And any other thoughts on their launch?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with FanDuel's technological savvy uh, here again, and now I'm even more impressed that I have stumped their tech team, by the way, uh, mm. in spite of their extensive and much appreciated efforts uh, on the phone over a couple of hours in the last month. Um, my desktop lets me log into FanDuel, so I'm in the site um, for sports betting, but uh, I can't bet, because FanDuel thinks that my desktop is a mobile device. Um, <laughs> Not only, not, only, not only is that not true, but I think the next time I move or I get rid of this old desktop, um, I'll need like a blowtorch and a sanding iron to uproot this thing from the wooden desk it is locked into. <laughs> um, it's about as immobile a device as exists out there. So, wow. uh, But that's probably partly me. And uh, as I say, my issues are unique, or those lawyers like to say, sui generis. So sure. um, it's probably on me. So anyway, it seems like Fandu will crush the field in August, uh, especially since they, again, have gotten a jump in terms of convenience.
0: So – You know, I'm not quite as convinced as you. I I expect FanDuel to be number one in August, but I wouldn't be shocked if they aren't (laughs) just because uh, there are a lot of those one sports book gamblers who signed up for Sugar House first and that's it. And they don't care about odd shopping. You know, they deposited their 200 bucks and they aren't going to deposit another 200 somewhere else. I kind of think it'll be very close either way for August. Uh, but I do lean toward FanDuel pulling out into the lead, and certainly within with another month or so to really get things moving by September, football, all that, I would think FanDuel should be starting to pull away. Um, he, here's one thing, though, about the shared wallet that isn't so great. If you have a New Jersey account, And you already got the first deposit bonus there, uh, which, by the way, it's a a risk-free bet up to $500. That's what the (laughs) bonus is. If you already got the bonus there, you don't get it again in Pennsylvania, even if you make a new deposit. Uh, Our boss, uh, U.S. Bet COO Robert Delafave, tweeted this week that he thought that was a bad idea. What do you think? Is FanDuel making a mistake by not offering the bonus to existing customers?
1: I almost think it's like a tech question, right up this Luddite's alley. Um, you know that that first deposit issue isn't a great look. I get that, but it seems like in general, if you sign up with a company as a consumer, you only get one first shot. I mean, you sign up for Amazon, get some bonus, and then you know you move uh, two states away, uh, you're you're back into your regular account. They're not going to give you another uh, incentive. So I'm not sure if Fanduel could feasibly double up anyway. Um, what do you hmm. think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the fact that they are using that shared wallet, you might be right that it's just it's difficult from a Uh, an organizational and tech perspective, maybe to to limit it in that way, uh, or or to expand it, I should say, in in that way to to both states. Logically, it makes sense. Hey, you got your deposit bonus. You don't deserve another one. But just in terms of a promotional perspective, if they are trying to uh, dominate the Pennsylvania market and make sure that everyone who is in Pennsylvania had an account in New Jersey that they're going to open one in Pennsylvania too. You know, I, I would think uh, from a business perspective, it might make some sense to, uh, to eat a little money at the beginning to make sure to get those acquisitions, but seems they made the opposite decision on this one.
1: Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. All
0: right. Let's go from my home state to yours and talk horse racing as last weekend was the Haskell invitational at Monmouth park. And the story is not so much who won the big race. The story is the various races that didn't happen uh, due to temperatures in excess of 100 degrees, prompting track operator Dennis Drazen to cancel six races on Saturday and delay several others until after the sun started to go down, not to mention canceling all 11 races scheduled for Sunday. Attendance was down more than 30% from last year. On track handle was less than one third of what it was last year, and off track handle fell by nearly $5 million. This is all bad news for Monmouth Park, but of course it's not the worst case scenario. That would have been running the horses in excessive heat and having a horse die as a result. John, you wrote about all of this in detail for NJ Online Gambling. Did Drazen have any other choice? And how damaging was this weekend financially for Monmouth Park?
1: Uh, Well, the good news is it wasn't quite 100 degrees, but the heat index was uh, well over 100. And uh, I was there. uh, I got two... uh, uh, Haskell Invitational uh, free hats. Uh, one I kept and the other one I used as a sweat bucket. So uh, <laughs> kind of a disposable hat. Yeah, it was not pretty. But um, anyway, it appears losses will be in the millions. Um, and that's what the salvage they made. Anyway, um, this was a brutal needle to thread. Um, you know, Drazen grew up with this track literally, going to, to there with his father as a kid. Um, he has expert veterinarians who have very effectively monitored heat conditions over the years. You know, this is an annual summer meet at the Jersey Shore. They they kind of know what they're doing. And I think they his guys have figured this out. Um, but racehorses die, you know, as outsiders in many cases are just learning. They had no idea this was a, you know, a phenomenon. It's just an inevitability really. Um, and there've been at least 30 racehorse deaths at Santa Anita in California in the past eight or nine months. And that's shined a huge spotlight on the industry nationally. So, uh, you know, if one horse had died that day, it could have been catastrophic for right. the horse racing industry, you know, given that there's so much pressure by animal rights activists and frankly, by governor Murphy, um, you know, that's that same day. So, uh, I think a bullet was dodged there, um, One one last thing I'd note, you know, six non-stakes races were canceled. So only the most valuable horses raced that early evening, right? So those trainers and owners were comfortable with any supposed risk. So couldn't all the horses have raced? Or is it possible that the less valuable horses have been less monitored, you know, less pampered, really, not only that day, but in the past month? So perhaps they could have been more at risk. I'm not sure, but the issue's not going away. Right. And and but the ones that did race,
0: I guess, got did get pushed back to when it was yes. not quite as hot. So I guess any horse racing, you know, right in the uh, when, when the temperatures were, were near their highest. Uh, that could have been bad news for any horse, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it it just sounds like Drazen and and uh, the facility just got dealt a bad hand. You know, uh, it was unfortunate. His his biggest race of the year, and and the weather is dangerous. But you know, I I don't think he really had any other choice. You you, you can't risk it under those conditions. Uh, but uh, at least they have the sports book, which is air conditioned. Uh maybe, <laughs> <that> was nice. <laughs> but uh, do you think maybe he made back a little bit of of the losses with uh, extra sports bets and uh, and drinks and food sold at the sports book?
1: Uh, I'd you, there wasn't a seat to be had in there, so that helped. But okay. uh, one okay. thing else I mentioned about yeah, the most of the stakes races got pushed back to 6 p.m. or later. The Haskell went off at 8, 11 p.m., like 10, 10 minutes before sunset, mm-hmm. basically. But um, you know, it's not like April or October where you can have a 95 degree day and you can't believe it. And then by you know 7 p.m. it's like 60 degrees. This is the middle of summer. Believe me, uh, at 7 p.m. it wasn't like it was comfortable. I mean, it was brutal all day. And this is sort of a um, a cosmetic issue. It was really hot at five o'clock. It was really hot at seven o'clock. And if something was going to happen, it was going to happen at five or seven. So right. um, I don't think there was really any great uh, benefit to the horses to wait two or three hours. But um, it it calm some people down. And like you said, it, it, was, a, it was a pragmatic decision, I would say.
0: Right. It, it at least creates the impression that you're trying to look out for for the safety by moving things around and canceling some races. And, and I'm sure he was looking out for the safety. Yeah. But you might be right that it wasn't all that much safer at, uh, at, eight, at eight o'clock at night as compared to six o'clock or whatever. So
1: not on that today. I was down there. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Our, our final story
0: this week is something a little different. Uh, it's a lower stakes story, but one with big potential implications. In Hawaii, two sports bettors, uh, not illegal bookies, just bettors, were fined for placing wagers as part of an illegal gambling bust. One of the bettors is a man, one is a woman. Both are in their 60s. Both were fined between $1,000 and $2,000. Neither is being charged with a felony after pleading no contest to first-degree promoting of gambling. This sets a fascinating precedent because everybody assumes that You can't really get into trouble just for placing bets illegally. Everybody assumes only the people taking the bets can get in trouble. I remember that being the mindset during the post UIGEA days of online poker. Nobody I knew was going to stop playing. It was the sites who were taking a risk, not the players. Mm. With this situation in Hawaii now, the players have been targeted too. So, John, how much impact do you see this having? Is this just a one-off that will quickly be forgotten? Or... If betters in other states start facing fines, do you see that dissuading people from betting with, with bookies or offshore sports books?
1: uh no, this is kind of a one off for sure and and by the way uh there's a reason there's no gambling in Hawaii no legal gambling anyway um you're in hawaii what 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 are you <laughs> what are you trying to what kind of benefit are you trying to get from a bet that can enable you to do something like go to Hawaii, you know? So <laughs> I, I don't get it. Um, and, uh, it's kind of an odd story, but as long as the worst case scenario here is a $2,000 fine, I don't think it stops anybody. But, um, my favorite part of the story though, is this duo was flying to, you know, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> Las Vegas. Yeah. Just after they made the illegal bet. So they could have just waited a couple hours and made the same, maybe not the same damn bet. They had something, they had a, a good hunch, but, um, The whole thing's really weird
0: you know i would think that in theory if there are two or three more stories like this um and especially if it something were to go to the next level and some better gets charged with a felony not just Mm -hmm. not just uh you know getting fined you could see it have an impact um you know and, and that if that all happened that could be a real turning point for the regulated sports betting industry but you know it's all theoretical and hypothetical. I I don't think any of that's going to happen. My guess is that stories like this won't become the norm. And it's not like this is getting a lot of traction. You know, uh, our our Brian Pempis wrote about it for U.S. Bets. I didn't see too many other outlets rolling with it. So my guess is, while this could turn out to be a a paradigm-shifting moment if several things happen, my expectation, like yours, is that it won't, that it's just going to be a one-off.
1: Yeah, what happened in Hawaii stayed in Hawaii, apparently. (laughs) It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
0: might be a stretch to say pennsylvania has become the center of the gambling universe but at the moment it's close uh, ed barkowitz is a longtime sports writer for the philadelphia Inquirer, and in addition to covering all the local teams his beat includes sports betting his twitter bio includes the line trying unsuccessfully to charge my bosses an integrity fee so you know right off the bat that ed is our kind of guy ed welcome to gamble on
2: <laughs> i appreciate it. what's going on eric
0: Oh, not much. Just uh, trying to get through the week here, and uh pleasure to be uh, speaking with you. Um, so the place to start, I think, is with the fact that this week, FanDuel became the fourth online sports book to launch in Pennsylvania, joining Sugarhouse, Rivers, and Parks. I'm not sure how much betting you do personally and what your preferences are between online and in-person, but as the number of sites in Pennsylvania expands... Do you think we'll see the same balance as in New Jersey, where more than eighty percent of the betting handle is coming from online and mobile?
2: Well, I, I I do. I think I think given how spread out the state is, um, you know, there's there's casinos in Pennsylvania, in, in Philadelphia, and in Pittsburgh, and then a few, you know, dotted around in some of the smaller places. But but there is a lot of there's a lot of ground in Pennsylvania between residents and casinos. Unlike in New Jersey, where actually there's a lot of, you know, you take what's down at the Jersey Shore, um, you know, and there's a lot of attraction there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also up in North Jersey and Monmouth, you know, there are people that uh, from New York are coming over and, and, and making a lot of the plays there. So I, I think that given that Pennsylvania is spread out as it could be, as it is, uh, there will be a higher percentage, of course, that, that, that are online. Now, whether it's 80, 80%, uh, that seems a little high. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I certainly can see that's the way it's certainly trending around the country.
0: And and do you do you care to share your personal preferences about uh, using online versus using brick and mortar?
2: Oh sure yeah no I don't I I do not bet online. Um, okay. I just don't like yeah I, I you know I'm I'm a little older than most. Um, getting older every day that's for sure. <laughs> but I just I just um, you know I, I've, I I'm not comfortable with it. I you know I like I like my money. I like my ticket. I like. Frankly, the fact that my bet is in and I'm not constantly uh, um, watching it and you know being tempted by in play, right. um, You know, it's just kind of the way that, that you know that I I bet all my life. But I certainly do not begrudge anyone who who plays and the eighty percent of it you know will tell me that. But uh, you know, just as long as everyone understands that there's real money involved here and it can get
1: away from you pretty quick if you're not careful. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Eagles are king in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, even more so after that Super Bowl win. <laughs> and the Steelers ruled the West forever. Um, but I wonder uh, how many other teams might have traction in the state as far as loyalties. And I mentioned it because I grew up in New York in the 1970s, and the Eagles and Giants were usually terrible. And, you know, so many uh, around my age, they've adopted out-of-state teams for life, uh, particularly Dallas Cowboys, actually, which uh, may or may not have to do with those cheerleader calendars back in the day. But I'm wondering <laughs> if that phenomenon took, took in Pennsylvania as well, you know, or would an Eagles or Steelers Super Bowl win mean the same sort of a savage beating by the sports books there that Rhode Island took with the Patriots last year?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There is a, there's, there's a healthy um, Cowboys base here. Um, but that, that, that goes for everywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I, I it is, especially you know, as you say, John. The Eagles were, were really bad in the early seventies before Dick Vermeil came on, and, and then you know had a dry spot in the early nineties before Andy Reid came on. Um, but mostly they, they've been competitive, by and large, for the last twenty years. So that they, they've really taken hold in this town. Um, I think that that if we're thinking about a sports book that could get hurt. And, and frankly, around here, it couldn't have broken better for the bookies here would be an Eagles Patriots uh, Super Bowl, where I think that would generate the highest revenue, especially if Tom Brady's the quarterback, uh, just yeah. because people love betting on the Patriots. And the fact that the Eagles uh, not only you know, won that game, but also covered and it was over uh, had sports betting been legalized in in Pennsylvania in in February of 2018, they they would have, you know, they would have gotten hurt.
0: All right, so th- this kind of follows on that, as long as we're talking about Eagles and Super Bowls and all that. Uh, here's a question geared toward my personal interest as a Philly sports fan. Uh, some of the listeners might not care, but I'm hosting the podcast. They're not. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. here are the current odds on the four local teams to win championships in their sports this next or current season. You have the Eagles 14-1, to Phillies 32-1, 76ers 9-1, to and Flyers 33-1. to Ed, which of those is the best value in your view?
2: Well, I think the Sixers are the best value because, uh, to me, getting out of the conference is is, is get winning the championships once, and getting out of the conference is, is another animal. And, you know, frankly, the, the team that gave Toronto its its biggest problems during the playoffs was the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And with, with Kawhi out of the picture and, you know, the conference has, has tightened up a little bit. I think the Eagle, uh, the Sixers at nine to one uh, to win the NBA title is, is good value. Just to give you an example, you know in looking at I think it was FanDuel that I looked at in preparation, uh, they are plus 220 to win the conference. So the two to one if, if they can win the conference and get them into the finals, anything can happen especially if you have, you know, Ben Simmons finds a jump shot in, in the next uh, two and a half months.
0: Yeah, that that would be nice. But yeah, I kind of assume whoever comes out of the East, obviously the Sixers and the Bucks are kind of the two front runners, is likely to be an underdog against whoever comes out of the West. But like you said, the the fact that the the path is realistic to at least get to the finals, nine to one sounds pretty enticing. You're right.
2: And there are, the folks around here are also talking about Penn State being twelve to one to, to win the Big Ten championship game. Now that's hmm. just winning the conference at twelve to one. That's not terrible. Figuring that the two teams that are in their way, in theory, are in their division. Two teams they're going to play. You're getting twelve to one that they could win. You know those two games. That that seems pretty uh, 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 a pretty good deal to me as well. Hmm.
1: All yeah. right. You know, Ed, unlike some big cities where you know a couple of the traditional uh, the sports teams are, are huge and a couple are sort of also rans. you know Philadelphia obviously has a lot of rabid fans for all four of those uh, traditional teams we mentioned before um and obviously you mentioned Penn State College football is certainly up there but I wonder if there's another sport that people might not guess that's likely to draw a good amount of interest now that uh, the rollout is is uh, nearing completion I'm thinking maybe the MLS soccer team boxing UFC you know I have family members in the Philly area who actually play on a curling team but that's probably not it is it <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, know, you, you know, it's an interesting question because I, I, I think that, that the soccer did well in talking to some of the local bookies mm-hmm. here relative to women's soccer, relative to women's soccer, and the fact that there wasn't a whole lot going on uh, at that point. Maybe, you know, just the odd baseball games or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, now, I, I think that, that this is, you know, in our numbers in, in, in the Enquirer kind of kind of bear this out. This is a pro town. And if the, uh, if the fellows are doing well, uh, they will be hammered. Um, you know, sh- I had my guy at Sugarhouse, uh, you know, was dreading, uh, you know, that, that, that double doink uh, on the bears. because <laughs> Everybody had the Eagles, you know, yeah. they, 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 they were just hammering the Eagles. And, and this, this is a pro town and they might not be betting the Phillies because, you know, bet, betting baseball is a little more is much more intense than bet, you know a single game and you know and the odds and everything that comes with betting baseball. But yeah, this is this is a pro town.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, a note to our listeners that Ed can be found on Twitter under his name, uh, just at Ed Barkowitz. Uh, so great talking to you, Ed. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Good enough, Eric and John. I appreciate it and good work, you guys. All
1: right. Thanks. Ed. Two men. Two men. Ten thousand dollars. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
0: wasn't just a country club week for our bankroll this time around it was a mix of country club and fight club as we had bets on golf and boxing and the results were mixed Uh, let's start with the boxing my 18 to 1 bet two weeks ago on pacquiao thurman to end in a draw was a loser Uh, it was a split decision a close fight but almost winning a bet is still the same as losing a bet Uh, so we lost 25 dollars on that one on the plus side, I took your favorite boxer, Derek Chisora, to knock out your second favorite boxer, Arthur Spilka, or as you referred to him last week, the other guy. Uh, <laughs> and he did just that in brutal fashion in round two. So right. we won $125 on that one. Yeah, it was funny. I, uh, I wasn't uh, in – it was a, a streaming fight, not on TV, and I was busy that afternoon and not in front of my computer as most of the card was going on, and I finally got in front of my computer literally – 10 seconds before he knocked him out turned it on. Oh, this fight's already underway. Oh, and it's over. All right. Won the bet. Um, in golf uh, at the open championship, you had John Rahm to finish in the top 10, a bad uh. beat there. He ended up tied for 11th. Uh, so we lost a hundred dollars on that. Uh, meanwhile, I had two bets on Brooks Kepka, $50 on him to win it all. And that was a loser. Uh, $50 on him to make the top five. He ended up tied for fourth. So that one won us $125. So totaling everything up, we won $50 this week, which means we're back in the black by $6. Uh, (laughs) We also have $1,655 tied up in futures bets. So that leaves us with $8,351 available to bet this week. And you're up first,
1: John. Uh, Yeah, Eric, you know, oddly enough, there's a new version of the annual St. Jude uh, Golf Classic in Memphis this week. Um, It got upgraded from from hunger status to big money uh, world golf championship event. Um, So believe it or not, right after the Open Championship, um, this event has 45 of the top 50 players uh, uh, in the wake of that, because uh, it's big money and they like money. Um, (laughs) So give me Henrik Stenson rounding nicely into top form. At 100 is even money to place in the top 20 and 50 to win 138 to claim a top 10.
0: Okay, doubling down on Stenson who, uh, you know, I I as I as I told you uh, off air, I uh, made a couple of long shot bets last week on the Open Championship and Stenson was was one of them and uh, obviously he did not win it all, but uh performed admirably anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Uh all right, uh it's not easy to find things to bet on this week. I'm not sure if you struggled as much as I did to find uh, a couple of things. Uh, But after scrounging around, I found a baseball game uh, today that I think is worth a shot on. Uh, Starting at 4.05 in D.C., the Nationals host the Rockies trying to complete a four-game sweep. Colorado has scored three runs total In the first three games of this series, and today they're facing Cy Young frontrunner Max Scherzer, and PointsBet is offering odds on the Nats to go over or under 0.5 runs in the first three innings. The under, uh, in other words, betting on them not to score at all in the first three innings, pays plus 111. I like that bet. Scherzer has been on fire lately. The Rockies are falling apart. Uh, Our our season-long over bet on them is looking really bad, especially because they might become trade deadline sellers. Mm -hmm. That would be the end of it for sure. Uh, But anyway, let's risk $100 to win $111 on the Rockies held scoreless through three today.
1: Uh, Well, it's taken 50 episodes. I finally mentioned my rotisserie league team. Uh, Max Scherzer is my ace, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) You got a good one there. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, meanwhile, you know, we talk about integrity fees, and uh, unfortunately I have one of my own here, and uh, it pains me. Um, I spotted this yesterday afternoon on DraftKings. I, I was going to take $50 to win $350 on Nationals to win the NL East. You know, the Braves have an endless supply of great young arms, but I don't trust a single one of them to battle through September's pennant race. Their bullpen's also unproven. You know, you can't kill the Nationals. They're already dead. Um, <laughs> one problem, yesterday the Nationals swept a doubleheader, picked up a game and a half on the Braves. And now I have to settle for my pick being 50 to win only 125.
0: Wow. All right. Lost a little value based purely on the timing. Oh, well.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but uh, all right. You just you just keep picking teams to win divisions uh, that my teams are part of. Uh, got the Redskins and now the Nats. Uh, I don't know if it's an anti Philly bias or a pro Washington bias that you have going on. But um, all right. Uh, for my second bet, I'm sticking with points bet again because they have some interesting NBA head to head futures. Some selections of two teams. You bet on which one will win more games this season and they have the Lakers as minus two hundred favorites over the Raptors, uh, and I like that one. I think Toronto is a pretty average team without Kawhi Leonard. Not a bad team, but you know, not a title contender at all. Their season win total is set at forty-five and a half games. Sounds about right to me. Even if they exceed my expectations by a few games, say they win forty-eight or forty-nine. I don't see this Lakers team winning under 50 unless there's a major injury to LeBron or Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. LeBron will probably get some nights off. Uh, I realize they may uh, give him some of that uh, load management that's so popular these days. But
1: Mm -hmm. even
0: so, this team has enough depth to do well, even in the tougher Western Conference. I expect them to win about 54, 55 games. I don't Mm -hmm. mind paying minus 200 on this. So uh, we're risking 200 to win 100 Mm -hmm. on the Lakers over the Raptors. Sounds from uh, some of your noises there that you're not quite (laughs) as convinced as I am.
1: No, I got a bad feeling about the Lakers, but we'll see.
0: All right. Uh, well, that'll do it for this historic 50th episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Hopefully you'll all stick with us for the next 50. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore bets. Go to U.S. dot com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes
1: or the Apple podcast
0: app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out.
1: Well, you know, Eric called the luck of the Irish, but my closure last week uh, here was recommending the Open Championship in Northern Ireland to non-golf fans. You know, the scenery and also the remarkable recent history there. And now we all know that Shane Lowry of the Republic of Ireland, 100 to one shot for the obligatory gambling reference, um, <laughs> was, was treated as one of their own by the galleries, uh, sang songs, exulted in the triumph. You know, Lowry said later, it's so special to win in my home country. I heard a millennial newscaster in New York here use that phrase as well on Sunday night. Um, as I noted in Gamble on Forty Nine, I'm old enough to remember even the start of the troubles violence in the late 1960s over there between Catholic and Protestant. Uh, with me growing up Irish in New York, you know, my late mother never could have imagined a day like Sunday, though she would have certainly welcomed it. Um, the tournament even wrapped up with bear hugs in the 18th green. I'm on the Irish golfer, his Northern Irish. Caddy and the English runner-up Tommy Fleetwood and his caddy. You know, um, as I tweeted on Sunday night. You know, Sir Paul McCartney, yet another Englishman. Uh, he once wrote, "Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay." You know, I believe in yesterday and. Uh, sir paul i can't decide if he finally got it backwards or upside down but (laughs) it's the troubles that are so far away and peace that looks like it's here to stay and uh, all the world should know the irish will tout their willful stubbornness against any culture on earth so if this one can go away you know all things are possible so with that note time for everybody to gamble on